Good morning. John said, if you want to, turn to your Bibles. You have no choice. You must turn. Is it hot in here? Okay, so the other thing, you must stay awake. So turn that air conditioning on. No. Uh, stand with me. We're in Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're going to look at this chapter over three studies, which I'll talk about in a moment. This morning, a memorial to Mary. That's not Mary, Jesus' mom. It's Mary of Mary and Martha. So in verse 1 of chapter 14, I'll read the first nine verses. We'll do a little responsive reading. I'll pray, and we'll get into it. So after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him, Jesus, by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do, do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Psalm 119, we're working through it eight, eight verses a week. We're in verse 129. I'll read 129 in the odd verses. If you would join together reading the even verses, I'll pray and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to take us through the word this morning. Verse, verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. So, Lord, we are very thankful for your word. In fact, reading that last verse, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your the, the psalmist, the love he had for the word, knowing its power, knowing how you used your word to cleanse us from, from our thought, cleanse our thought life, our, what we're doing as far as making decisions. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, hidden in our hearts so we might not sin against you. So, Lord, so may it be for us. May our hearts just be drawn this morning to your word, the things that are in here. I pray you'd help me, Lord, to communicate your heart from your word to your people. The things I prepared, break them fresh for us. We're hungry for you, Lord. We're hungry for the truth, to live our lives according to the truth. And you said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know you, that the truth would set them free. I pray, Lord, for anyone here that's hurting, the truth would set them free. Just whatever it is this morning, you know us intimately, acquainted with all our ways, not a word on our tongue. But behold, Lord, you know it all together. 
You've hedged us behind and before. You've laid your hand upon us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us, Lord. So please manifest to us yourself this morning by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. So you can be seated. You can, so just keep your Bibles open there to our text in Mark 14. We have a companion passage in Mark in John chapter 12 that I'll be reading. We'll put, up, put that up on the, on the uh, screen as we get to it. So chapter 14, really four times in this chapter, we read this little phrase, assuredly I say to you. Three of those are directed toward his disciples. So that's how we're going to look at this chapter. Our first one is this morning where it says in verse 9, assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So first, our one this morning, a memorial to his disciple Mary, verses 1 through 9. Secondly, in Mark chapter, if you have your text there, Mark chapter 14, verse 18, it says, Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. So our next study, which will take us from verses 10 through 52, is the betrayal by his disciple Judas. Huge subject. The third one, we find in verse 30, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, this is to Peter, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So that's another huge story to look at, the denials of his disciple Peter. So these next three studies in our gospel according to Mark, next Sunday is the children's musical, then we'll look at the betrayal, then we have Christmas Sunday on the 24th, Christmas Eve service, and then on the 31st. So we're going to close the year out in chapter 14 of Mark. So if you want, take a picture of that and read, if you would, before you come, read these texts that the Holy Spirit might take them and help just ingrain them in good soil in our hearts. So a memorial to his disciple Mary. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So three things Jesus said about this memorial to Mary. She has done a good work for me. That's what she's done. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. This speaks of the cost. It speaks of the pricelessness of what she was doing. Secondly, in verse 8, she has done what she could. Now, that's a great phrase. She's done what she could. Now, really, context, she's done what she could, while she could, when she could. In other words, it would pass away, it would slip away. She, again, she broke the flask and pour, poured it on his head. So the act that she did is a precious thing in her love for Jesus. This is the memorial. But then, verse, in the third thing that Jesus says is, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for the burial. And we'll look at that. It's, it's, it's incredibly deep as you think about what, what is going on here with Mary? So the companion text in John 12, we'll look at that as we go. So notice in verse 1 of chapter 14, after two days, it was the Passover. Now Mark testifies to this event here in his narrative, but it actually took place four days earlier. So in John chapter 12, we read, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, and this whole thing starts to unfold. Warren Wearsby said this, this event took place six days before Passover, which would put it on the Friday before the triumphal entry. By placing this story between the accounts of the plot to arrest Jesus, Mark contrasted the treachery of Judas and the leaders 
So it's a contrast. With the love and loyalty of Mary. The ugliness of their sins makes the beauty of her sacrifice even more meaningful, unquote. I like that, and I think that's true. So it's a contrast. What's going on in Jerusalem? What's going on in the hearts of these leaders versus what's going on in Bethany in the heart of Mary toward Jesus? While evil, evil men are plotting to kill Jesus, Mary is expressing her faith in and love for Jesus. She's doing it with elegance. She's doing it with godly extravagance that Jesus himself memorialized her. That what she had done would never be forgotten. And that is true however many thousand years later this morning. So Warren Wiersbe also said this, quote, while thousands of Passover pilgrims were preparing for the joys of the feast, Jesus was preparing for the ordeal of his trial and crucifixion. Just as he had steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, so he steadfastly set his heart to do the Father's will. The servant was, quote, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Philippians 2.8, unquote. In the Bible Knowledge Commentary, the chronology of the Passion Week events, that's what this is called, the we're entering into the Passion Week events, is complicated partly because two systems of reckoning time were in use. The Roman or the modern system in which a new day starts at midnight and the Jewish system in which a new day begins at sunset. So there are two different ways of chronologically saying what day it is or what time it is, what day it is. So the Passion Week events, I'm going to give them to you, just fly over here. Day one would be Sunday, Palm Sunday. We looked at that. Mark 11, behold, your king comes. Now, so it had a great beginning. <laughs> this fantastic Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding in and revealing himself as Messiah. First time he did that. This triumphal entry. And then after that, the disciples with Jesus spent the night in Bethany. Day two is Monday. They return to Jerusalem along the way. He curses the fig tree. As we go through this, this is a packed week, okay? A lot of things going on, a lot of tension rising, a lot of things that are dynamically happening. I'm putting them in just a little bit day order, but these are all the things that happen. He drives out the money changers, and this ticks off the leaders even more. He returns to Bethany on Tuesday, day three. As they are returning to Jerusalem, Jesus instructs with, with the withered fig tree. It's an object lesson. In Jerusalem, there's a highly tense uh, temple controversies happening. We get that in Matthew and Luke. Then they go to the Mount of Olives where Jesus gives the Olivet Discourse from which we just went through six studies on when will these things be? Mark chapter 11 through 13. Also interesting, just to keep in mind, also on Tuesday, so all these things are going on in the, in the, realm, in the group of the disciples as well as the crowds as well as the leaders. So this is also on Tuesday when, G, when Judas begins negotiating with the Sanhedrin to betray Jesus. Again, a full and exhausting day. They return to Bethany and stay there the night. They never stayed in Jerusalem. Day four on Wednesday, Jesus continued to teach in the temple while the Sanhedrin continued to plot his death. Some suggest that it was a day of rest in Bethany because not a lot is written about this particular Wednesday. But the tensions are rising. 
Jesus already told his disciples that he would be delivered and killed. That's in the air. Jesus also demonstrated his power over death by raising Lazarus from the dead. So that added to all the things that were going on. Day five on Thursday, the atmosphere is getting heavier. From Bethany, Jesus sends Peter and John to prepare the Passover. We'll look at this. Not this morning. We'll look at this as we get into it. That evening, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He observes the Passover with them. You have the upper room discourse in John chapters 14 through 17. They leave the upper room and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus there prays in agony. He's betrayed by Judas with a kiss. He's arrested by the Sanhedrin Thursday. While Jesus is being tried, Peter then denies Jesus three times and the rooster crows. That's Thursday. Friday, Jesus is tried, crucified, killed, and buried. Early on Friday morning, Judas hangs himself. At the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m., Jesus breathes his last and dies. By 6 p.m. that evening, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had taken Jesus' body and put it in that tomb. On Saturday, day 7, Jesus' body lies in the tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers. We'll get to these stories as we go. And then Sunday, eight days later, Jesus rises from the dead. Amen? But this week before that, the three years of his ministry before that was leading to this very thing of his crucifixion, his death. And that's what the air is filled with right now. So Jesus <laughs> rises from the dead. So after two days, back in Mark, was the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, but there is, lest there be an uproar of the people. So this feast commemorates God's great deliverance of Israel from Egypt. These two feasts were closely related. They were held back to back, one day and seven days, so eight total days. It was held in the month of Nisan, which would be our March-April. The Passover meal was eaten at the beginning of Nisan, between sunset and midnight, which would be Thursday evening. And it says there, the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him. So Jerusalem is burgeoning, packed, double its population, crowded beyond measure, more than any other time of the year. The leaders were plotting there in Jerusalem to get him and kill him. Nope, they had no problem with that, the religious leaders. But the problem they're having now is if we do it during the feast, there's going to be a lot of people here that won't like that. So we got to be thinking more politically correct on when we do it. So their plans changed. They sought how. In the Greek, that means they kept seeking. So they're having these discussions continuously. How they, it says they're in some sly way, can do this very thing. In fact, John tells us both the chief priests and Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. If you know where he is. Now, but then it says, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So they changed their mind. They, they went, now, well, hold on a second. Let's wait till it's all over. People have gone home. There's not that many people. And then we'll take him. 
When Judas came then to them, he had an unexpected offer. From the inner circle, he offers them, he offers to betray Jesus to them. You know the story, they gave him 30 pieces of silver. But it also changed the whole plan again. Now here's the deal. God had other plans. Now what's going on? God is the one who is, who is carrying out his plan for what would happen. So he's going to expedite, God is, through, G, through Judas and all these things that are going on. He is going to expedite his plan that the Messiah would be crucified as the Lamb of God on Passover. Basically, Jesus told them, or excuse me, Judas told Jesus, told, told these leaders, you better get on with it. Because he knows about it. What you do, do quickly. One of you will betray me. He, so Judas leaves that upper room there, goes out into the dark. Satan fills him. And he goes up and says, hey, you, got, you better move now. Or else he's going to get away again. Or so Judas is thinking. He's going to escape from your hand. So you got to act now. And so they engaged their plan. And they went to the garden. And there with Judas, he, he was betrayed to them by Judas, by the kiss. All the others were not. But all the other disciples fled. We'll get to the betrayal in our next study. So verse 3, being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper as he sat at the table. So here's what's going on now. He's invited to Simon the leper's house for dinner. And you look at the guest list and you go, wow, that'd be a great dinner to be at. You can only imagine the conversations that are going on. They've just been talking about what's going to, when will these things be? And all these, all these things that are going on now, you have this guest list and all those in attendance, but all those that are in attendance have no idea what's about to happen. It says there a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head, anointed him. A blessed thing in that culture. John tells us who it was. Mark does not tell us. John does. In John chapter 12, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of you. By the way, she's mentioned three times in Scripture, Mary, every time she's at the feet of Jesus. That's the place to be. She wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. This alabaster flask of costly oil of spikenard, the most expensive ointments, were preserved in alabaster. This is no small thing here. It's quite possible that this is a family heirloom, this alabaster flask, which would add to its value, though it was already very valuable. An alabaster flask was a small bottle with a thin neck, held about a pint of liquid. It was opened by breaking the neck. So in verse 4, Mark 14, but there were some who were indignant among themselves, and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. John tells us, 
one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant not oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So who's leading the pack, the, the criticism? It's, it's actually Judas. You get in a picture. Then he said, this he said, not that he cared for the poor. Notice this. We'll get this in his betrayal. But because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So the guy's pilfering. 300 denarii is a year's wages. Why was this fragrant all wasted? And they criticized her sharply. They harshly scolded her. They were on their high horses. But not sincerely. Certainly not sincerely with Judas. They're looking at it as being reckless, unnecessarily extravagant. It was not just Judas who criticized, by the way, but there were many others who were also criticizing when they saw this. Warren Wearsby said, quote, it's interesting that the word translated wasted in verse 4 is translated perdition in John chapter 17, verse 12, the son of perdition. It applies to Judas. Judas, Judas criticized Mary for wasting money, but he wasted his entire life. Now, that's a contrast. If ever there was a contrast. Verse 6, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? It is always so, such a blessing when Jesus comes to our defense. That's what he's doing. Why are you troubling her? She's had done a, a, a work, good work for me. That's what she's done. The moil is because of what she's done. She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever, whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could have, what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. John says much the same thing. Jesus, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you troubling her? The reason they were is they couldn't see her heart nor the heart of Jesus. They had no idea what was going on there in the relationship that Jesus had and Mary had with him. And so Jesus commends. And Paul, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, for it's not he who commends himself who's approved, but whom the Lord commends. And that's always the goal of our life. What is God commending? Where, when's God going to come to my defense. I think of the woman taken in adultery. It says there, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? She was taken in adultery in the very act. Well, Moses said, stone her. What do you say? And Jesus started writing on the ground, stands up, writes, and then all the accusers leave. And it's just this woman taken in adultery in the very act. Someone said, well, where was the guy? <laughs> but it's just the woman, Jesus and her. Love the story. So personal, so intimate. There she is. In her guilt, in her shame. All the accusers gone just because Jesus wrote something. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, to hear those words. Not that we're not guilty. Not that we're not caught in sin. But when it comes to Jesus and how he deals with that for each and every one of us, it's beautiful. It's intimate. 
No weapon formed against you will prosper. What shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? Now, how do I know that? Because it says there, he who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? God is for you as a believer. He's for you as an unbeliever. He's for you in such a way that he sacrificed his son that you might come to know this for you God. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. God's not condemning. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, even at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, or tribulation, or persecution, or distress? Or, and he goes on with this whole list. Listen, brothers and sisters, take just a little nugget here. God is for you. He sees your heart for him. He knows your desires for him. No, you're not perfect. None of us are. But that desire given to us that we long for, that we, that we actually weep over the failures of our lives and the weakness of our, of our flesh, we weep over those things. And God is saying, I will raise you up. I'm for you. I'm not condemning you. I've justified you. I chose you. You're mine. And so nothing can separate us from the love of Christ by faith in who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Jesus rose, and he is our defense attorney against all charges, against all foolishness. First John, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Say amen. Yeah. There is no, there is, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come before and to anoint my body for burial. So you have the poor with you always. If you sincerely want to help the poor, go for it. No problem. They're all, it's all over. The, it's always going to be there. But me, he said, you do not have always. The contrast is not between Jesus and the poor. The contrast is between with you always and not always with you. In other words, Mary knew, this is the profundity of this whole story. Mary knew Jesus would soon be dead. This may be the last time that she can express to him her love. She has come before him to anoint my body for burial. This tells me that Mary was listening and she was believing when most others were not. They could not incorporate Jesus actually being killed, going to a cross. To me, this may be, well be the most powerful thing about her memorial. She believed when others did not. She understood when others did not. She came beforehand when others never would. You see, her faith in and love for Jesus is exemplary and strides ahead of anyone else. 
She believed that Jesus was going to be killed. Going to die. We read of another Mary, the mother of Jesus, who in hearing things concerning her son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, received, let it be unto me as the Lord has said. But then she heard this thing about a sword piercing her own heart. And some of these things that she didn't understand it, but she heard it and knew that it was, there was something that was going to be happening that would not be pleasant, if you will. And it says there about her, Luke chapter 2, and all those who heard it marveled at the things, those things were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the same thing happened when Simeon said, the sword's going to pierce your own soul. She thought about it. She took it to heart. She gave much time. We read of Jacob and having heard his son Joseph's dreams. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I think this memorial reminds us to keep these things in mind. To let the ruminating of our soul be on the word of God, the things he's told us. We may not understand them, but here's what God's laid out. Do we believe them? Do we trust him with them? And not only these big things like we just talked about, all these eschatological things, but I'm talking about the main basic things of living life in a crazy world. Do I believe God when no one else is? Will I trust God when no one else does? Will I worship God when no one else is? Will that be the memorial that God will say it's going to be remembered? I'll tell you, when it's you that's, that's actually happening in your heart, it's the best memories ever. That in the middle of this madness, I'm dancing. I'm trusting God. I'm saying, I believe you. And I look at the things, this, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glories which shall be revealed. And we talk about temptation and trials and scourgings and all this, and they're difficult and they're painful. But am I going to believe God? Am I going to trust God? Am I going to love him in spite of all those things and walk through them with him? And the memorial rises to the surface as a light that shines in a dark place. Will that be my testimony? Will that be my memorial? It's a good question, wouldn't you say, from this passage? In Luke chapter 9, it says, and they were all, this is, this is very powerful again here. They were all amazed at the majesty of God, but while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, note, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of man. Oh, all these things are wonderful. Let me tell you what's coming. And Mary believed it. It sunk down into her heart. And so she has done this, Jesus said, for my burial. She's come before and to anoint my body for burial. See, she was listening and hearing Jesus when others were not. That's the memorial. She was believing Jesus when others were not. That's the memorial. Mary knew Jesus would be delivered up, tortured, and killed. That's the memorial. It's our memorial. When the disciples did not want to think about it, Mary already had. Mary loved Jesus and came before him, beforehand, while she still could, to tell him.
to worship him. To pour out of her love for him in front of her worst critics. That's a memorial. To pour out her love for him in the presence of all the other disciples. That's the memorial. To pour out her love for him at any cost. Priceless. Didn't matter. That had nothing to do with it. She just took the best thing she could possibly gift him, and she poured it out on him, never to be used again. Except as a fragrance that filled the whole house. Because she loved him. She believed him. To pour out her love not only at any cost, but at any time, at any place. See, that's a memorial. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus, whenever the, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Wherever this gospel is preached. Now, at this time, in a real sense, there is no gospel. Jesus hasn't died. He hasn't been raised again. But Mary's expression, listen, her expressing her faith in and love for Jesus is the gospel. That's the memorial. Jesus lived to die and died to rise is the gospel. The gospel did not just sort of happen randomly. It was God's pre-appointed place for his son on that cross to die for our sins. That was all God's doing. Was it a surprise? And you know, to believe and understand that truth, that God from the very beginning of man's fall promised he would send a Savior. That's a memorial. More like, like none other. Even when we were dead and trespassed in sins, we were enemies of God. We were children of wrath. God already had it planned. How he would take care of that problem for you and for me. That's a memorial. That's our testimony. The host of, all the hosts of wickedness combined could not stand against the purpose and plan of God to save to the uttermost all those who come to him through Christ. What this woman has done will be told as a memorial, a memorial to his disciple Mary. She has done a good work for me. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. The cost didn't matter. It was priceless. That's the memorial. She's done what she could while she could. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. She worshipped him. She let it all go. Poured it all out. Her faith in and love for Jesus was all that mattered, all that she was centered on. She was the worshiper. Martha was the doer. She's come beforehand to anoint my bed, my body, my body for burial. You know, I thought of when the Ark of the Covenant was recovered in Israel. Returning it to Jerusalem, and we read in 2 Samuel that David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, 
Michael, Saul's daughter, looked, it's his, it's his wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him. See, that's the contrast. Same contrast. Despise or pour out. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows, shameless young. So she's looking at his worship as being worthless. And more than that. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord, who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, he said, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will humble, be humble in my own sight. Can I get the worship team to come out? But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I'll be held in honor. His own wife looked at it. You'd think God's leaders would look at this and see, wow, there's something of substance there, this memorial of what she's done. The fragrance of the flask she broke that day has been borne across the centuries by the Holy Spirit unto this morning, this memorial. It still fills our senses with its sweetness even to the present hour. The fragrance of Mary's faith in and love for Jesus still fills our senses today. It's a memorial to us. That's what counts. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take in his word and believe every jot and tittle of it. Understand that. And it's going to take me to a place of worshiping him. No matter who's there, no matter what it costs, no matter how I am or where I am, I'm going to worship God. Would you say amen to that? Why don't you stand with me and let's close in a uh, song, I hope. (laughs) So I just asked a question to myself. I'll ask you this morning. What about your memorial? What about your memorial? What's that going to be like? I ask God, I pray to God, it'll be this, my faith in and love for Jesus is what I poured everything out for. That he would then say, this this man's life became that fragrance of who he is, what he does, and his faithfulness to keep us in all things and all ways. Let's worship him, and I'll I'll close with a prayer. I love you, Lord.